0: Hello and welcome. My name is Dario Hasenstab and I have a degree in international affairs and I'm here today with Balder Hagrits, a former university professor of mine, as well as an IR consultant. And together we decided to start this podcast called Bursting the Western Bubble. The initial idea behind this podcast was that we noticed the demand for an informal discussion of international relations, you know, war, peace, diplomacy, anything along those lines... Um, for people who read the news every week and seek a bit more of an in-depth analysis about the things they read in the media but aren't necessarily specialists in. the two of us cons- uh, the two of us are concerned about the behavior of Western countries in international relations, and we would like to contribute to a better understanding and to better policy making. In order to do so, this podcast will always follow more or less the same structure where we try to answer the five same questions each time. First, what are the facts where we just lay out the basic facts that everyone can agree on and that are a basis of our analysis and second, what is the bubble? Third, what is the personal bias of the actors involved? Fourth, what is the damage? What what are these biases causing and is this a damage or are these damages or are these not? And then lastly, we try to look into the future we try to answer the question, what is the future? By just giving a vague direction of where, where matters could develop into. Um, The two of us uh, are, again, my name is Dario Hasenstab, I'm a a German by nationality, I've lived in Korea, the United States, and Spain, I'm 23 years old, and I'm currently studying a Master's in International Affairs in Berlin. Balder, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Uh, Yes, hi Dario, Um, so my name is Balder Hagrath, I I was born in the Netherlands, but when I was 18 left to the UK to study, and since then I haven't been back to the Netherlands uh, to live at least. Um, I'm a professor and consultant in international relations, and currently I'm living in Madrid, where I'm still teaching at university, where we
0: met. Um, exactly, and then three years ago, born out of university, the idea of Raya Group, a youth that think tank on international affairs that we founded together with a group of other students. Um, Raya is basically just very quickly a youth at think tank with the mission of bringing international affairs closer to a young audience. But another thing that is funny about how we met in university is that, and this might sound cheesy to some of our listeners, but it was really this day where on my first day of university back in twenty seventeen, um, I had my first class with Boulder and he walked in, and you may have seen, you may remember this from. Movies where the first thing, and a very inspirational professor, professor says, changes a student life, a student's life. Um, with me, that was not necessarily the case, but the first thing Balder said was very influential to me. Um, and he basically asked us students to always keep in mind our personal biases, which already leads us kind of to the main ideas and concepts of this of this podcast. Um, Balder, where, where exactly should we start? What do you think?
1: Well, we should start by the fact that you said that I didn't change your life. That essentially that 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 is that is sad. Um, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm I'm deeply disappointed, Ariel. Um But um, um, the main idea, the 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 to talking about this podcast, what it is that we want to achieve is that um, we want to analyze how the west behaves in the world and 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 uh what is currently happening and to help our listeners understand the day-to-day affairs and for that we need to start with definitions right what what is the west what do we mean by the west
0: also basically like 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 any like any scientific paper we have to start by defining the concepts Defining exactly Um,
1: As, as 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 you very well learned at university always make sure that in the footnotes you're clear about what the concepts mean
0: Exactly. Um, however, today we don't want to make this a footnote. We want to make this a very important part of this introduction episode. Um, so then, Walter, what do you, what do we actually mean by by the West? Uh, to me, the West, according to your classes, uh, may have started in sixteen forty eight with the Treaty of Westphalia. Is am I right about this, or are you? Are you going to deduct some of my grades uh, from a few years ago? <laughs> the, the famous
1: 1648 Westphalia, which people tend to forget, um, but, but for our listeners, that was the starting point of our international system when Protestants and Catholics came together and decided how international relations should be organized from now on, where every country would be sovereign and would have territorial control over its own, within its own borders and was not allowed to interfere in the affairs of others. And this was, of course, to keep the Catholics from trying to convert the Protestants and the Protestants from trying to convert the Catholics in Europe in the 17th century. Now, yes, you're absolutely right. That is the start. So um, no deduction of points there. That is the start of what we would call the West. Now, the West as a concept was formalized uh, uh, in the way that we know it in the 20th century, of course, as part of the Cold War. Uh, where you had the world being divided in um, basically two camps um, and then a third neutral camp of countries that weren't aligned. But the two camps were the the Western capitalist democratic nations and the communist Soviet-led part of the world. And there the West became this idea of a perspective, a view, on, on, on how society should be run right which in, included um, perceived freedoms which included um, democracy which included ca- capitalism liberalism the the way that western europe and the united states still very much look at themselves this idea of this is the way that humanity should move forward but of course that whole idea goes way back to indeed sixteen forty eight, even before, but uh, to the French Enlightenment, to the develop industrial revolution of the nineteenth century. So start it start, slowly started developing into what we know now as the West. But in, in short, the West is uh, a concept that was formally introduced as part of the Cold War and that basically means those countries that follow a if you like a democratic liberal capitalist outlook. On themselves and on how the world should be run
0: but because this is this was a podcast focusing on the west then what does the west look like now uh, especially in 2022 maybe even let's look at the let's let's ask the question first what did the west look like in 2021 uh, because i think one of the first topics we will be discussing down the line has already changed how the west is looking in 2022 but and so so what does the west look like now or last year
1: so um, if you look at uh, November, December 2021, you've got a group of nations that clearly, explicitly define themselves as the West. Um, think, think typically Western Europe, North America, countries like Japan, Australia, who are living off the remnants of the 20th century, if you like. Uh, countries that still believe that they have the right formula for society, um, People are free, Countries are uh, governments are seen to be held accountable for their actions. We can discuss later on during this podcast series whether that's actually true or not. But the idea that you've got the people who have a government working for them and this idea that there's something inherently um, good about that and better than other governance systems such as authoritarianism, um, the Chinese model, if you like uh, perceived dictatorships such as uh, Vladimir Putin's Russia, um, Saudi Arabia, the monarchy, it, the idea is that that Western model is better. However, as I said, it's they're living off the remnants of the 20th century because that is still very much an idea in our minds, but the West is clearly on the decline. The West is no longer as energetic, as dynamic, as influential, as powerful as they were in, let's say, 1995. And so for the past 25 years, you see a decline of this Um, of its influence um, which is not down to one specific thing but a whole series of factors and that leads to this disconnect between how the west sees itself as this bulwark of everything that's good in the world and how it actually behaves in reality which is a group of nations that is becoming increasingly fearful and increasingly erratic and increasingly destructive both uh, externally, at, 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 at a global level, in the way they conduct their affairs with other nations, non-Western nations, but also internally, where it no longer has the same drive, the same strength of purpose and mechanisms that they used to have before. But, but, by the way, if I, sorry to uh, go back to one thing, but given that bias is going to be a big deal here, the reason why the Third World War uh, sorry, third world. What I'm saying, well, that's that's a whole different thing. The th- why the third world is a incorrect term is because the persons. Uh, this comes actually from French literature orig- originally, and how they how they uh listed it is the first is us, we're the first. Then our enemy is the second, and then third are people we don't really care about. And 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 that has then become worse and worse over time, right? So, but it it's not just a overly sensitive issue. It's actually a really good example of how the West tends to think of itself. It thinks of itself as the core of the world. They're number one. USA, number one, that kind of idea. And then um, you've got the people we are worried about. The Soviet Union in the 20th century. Now, once again, Russia uh, because of the war in Ukraine, for example. And then you've got countries who are not really on a radar screen. They're the third world. So that's why we should be careful with that term.
0: Yeah. You have no idea how upset I was when I learned that, because in, in high school, they, they told us the same. Oh, you cannot say third world. You have to call them uh, developing nations. Um, I was very upset when I later, later learned that um, the original term third world is not coming from a, a, a concept based on development, but it's more on a concept of non-alignment. Um, So I was was very upset about that. Uh, One more thing uh, that that you said earlier, because you said that Japan is part of the West. uh, So we are counting Australia, um, New Zealand, Korea as well, uh, because this is not a geographical concept. This is a concept of alignment.
1: Yes, South Korea, um, just to distinguish it from um, the, the North. Um, yeah. Um, and, and as such, we have to accept that it's, it's a vague term, right? And it's, it's not always very specific. In, in certain cases, I'm sure during the podcast, we will talk about Western Europe or the European Union or we'll talk about the United States. But if you talk about the West in its modern form, um, it is those countries that follow this 20th century Western model, which is very Eurocentric in its origins. And there's definitely a Euro Eurocentric bias. Keep in mind that the United States is a product in its current form, mostly a product of European nations, of course. Um, but it includes countries that aren't just the transatlantic alliance. And it's uh, you could easily argue that many Latin American countries are part of the West as well. It, I don't think it really matters... As long as people understand that from a broad perspective, we're talking about this international movement that focuses on capitalist democratic liberalism, um, pushing forward an external agenda, outward foreign policy agenda, as well as internally believing that they've got the magic formula for humanity to follow.
0: Okay, so now that we've looked into what the West is that it's, again, not a geographical location, but it's more a concept or an idea that countries sign up to. Um, then what is the Western Bubble, uh, the name of this podcast? Uh, I mean, what what do we mean with bubble here? Is it basically an echo chamber uh, like on Twitter? Um, I mean, we're also both on Twitter in case anyone wants to follow us. We'll link it down in the post description below. Um, but what do we mean with Western Bubble here?
1: But saying that I'm on Twitter is an option. Awesome, I think I tweeted out two things in my life. I created an account on your, uh, <laughs> on your request, by the way, if I remember correctly, two years ago. Um, but I'll, I'll try to tweet out some things in the future. And in any case, um, the, uh, so the bubble is a term that we use. Of course, it's not an official term in any way, shape or form. But it is this idea of a West, which is built on a lot of strengths. Um, this is not in any way to deny its many sins in the past and in the present, right? I mean, there are lots of problems with Western policy, both internally as well as internationally. But um, as a historical polity, if you like, a historical m- political movement, it, it is incre- it's it been incredibly strong, powerful. It has a, had a lot of success. Um, Europe has dominated the 17 18 19 centuries uh, globally Um, not necessarily in a good way so when i say dominated it's not something to be necessarily proud of but they were the first and foremost global actor in the 20th century that became the united states supported by western europe and 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 later japan and others the west is built on incredible pillars really really historically impressive pillars having said that um, now, in the 21st century, when you see this clear decline and in many ways a sort of rotting of those pillars at some, at some level where domestically Western countries are searching for who they are, for their own identity, um, globally they are lashing out, they are no longer coherent in their policy making, policy no longer have a long term vision of what they want to achieve now that there's no longer a cold war to fight, um, they actually have to give a positive agenda to their vision and they they don't seem to be able to do that. What you're seeing is that that reality, that decay of the West, that is very, very clear, and and we will discuss that extensively, I'm sure, during this series, um, is not being sufficiently recognized. And as such, people live in this bubble where they still believe that they live in a country that stands for everything that is good and wonderful. Um, they, If you live in the Netherlands, or you live in Germany, or you live in Spain, uh, or you live in the United States, you look at your own nation, at your society, at your society, as a source for good in the world. Sure, it makes mistakes, but essentially you believe it to be good and to be something that other countries should strive for. Those Chinese, they should learn that authoritarianism is not the way, but that the Western method is the way. Um, Everyone should um, understand that democracy and freedom, Western freedom, are the the fundamental concepts. And that delusion about their own societies, in contrast with the decaying structures of the West, are creating this bubble. So people living... ...in a make-believe world that no longer corresponds to reality. And as a result, we do horrible things. Western societies do horrible things, but we don't perceive it to be horrible, so we don't learn from it. We, we uh, make mistake after mistake towards the rest of the world and towards ourselves. And yet, um, we believe that these are just little errors, managerial errors rather than a systemic problem that comes from within and without recognizing that we' a systemic problem we'll continue to live in this bubble this Western bubble
0: and and then what are some of the like example because I, I obviously like to learn with examples I mean what are some of the examples I'm immediately thinking Iraq Afghanistan um,
1: well, so what? what is really interesting about those Iraq, Afghanistan, and you can go back, I mean, there, there's consistency here. There, to some degrees, there's, there's, there's always some kind of bubble, right? Um, even going back to Vietnam, when I wouldn't necessarily say that the Western bubble was as explicit because the West was still rising, but the Vietnam War, what you see consistently in those cases, in that kind of um, situation, is that the general reaction of society is, oh yeah, the Vietnam War was bad, was was a mistake. The Iraq War now, the the, the war in 2003, um, is generally perceived to be a mistake. Um, The Afghanistan policies were a mistake. However, the reaction is they were managerial mistakes. They were politicians who made the wrong choices and who should have made different choices with hindsight. um, Iraq should not have been invaded, Afghanistan should not have led to a 20-year old civil war, Vietnam should probably not have happened. The analysis there is that those are managerial problems rather than a problem about who we are as the West and what our delusion is with respect to our own role towards the rest of the world. So if, if I burst a bubble in, in, in these cases, I would be talking about Um, Actually, Vietnam and Iraq and Afghanistan are almost inevitable outcomes of our own self-delusion, of the way that we believe uh, we have a role towards the rest of the world, a responsibility to convert the rest of the world into the Western model, a belief that we need to democratize, that we need to protect the human rights worldwide based on a Western power game. Um, So... I would I would I would burst the bubble by saying that this is not a problem of managers of politicians making one or two bad judgment calls but the inevitable outcome of a society that is not aware of its own identity and of its own weaknesses and is not willing to question its own um, uh, weaknesses for example and this is a question for you and for listeners as well how often do you actually read a proper article in, the, in newspapers questioning the legitimacy of democracy no hardly ever right there are very few conversations about is democracy actually a good thing but i'm not saying it's a bad thing all i'm saying is that surely it's a good it's, it's a valid conversation to have it's legitimate to question whether democracy is something good or not instead what we do is we just take it for granted and we work from there and by not critically analyzing that
0: we create this huge bubble that leads to terrible, terrible outcomes. See, whenever we have these conversations, I always ask myself, why is this not a popular mindset yet? Because there are so many obvious negative consequences of past behavior based on this bubble or from within this bubble. Um, I mean, just because what it it happened in August 2021. So that's about uh, nine months ago. Um, that the West left Afghanistan, it was a huge mess, and and the popular mindset seemed to be, oh, why are we not staying there longer? These poor people, we're leaving them alone. Um, so, so why why is this bubble so strong? Because whenever I think about a bubble, I think about blowing bubbles, and they pop very easily. It just seems to be more like a steel bubble to me that is very difficult to to burst. I mean, so, so why is this so strong?
1: Yeah. It's, it's fascinating the Afghanistan case is so fascinating because if you ever want to see what I mean with managerial criticism rather than uh, deeper self-reflection, is by far most of the criticism, and there was vicious criticism last year about Afghanistan, it was about the withdrawal itself. What a mess it was. And it was a complete mess. Let's face it. I mean the way that the United States and then it, their Western allies, all of a sudden, withdrew, leaving complete chaos behind in Afghanistan was terrible. But yeah, that's a managerial problem. What people don't recognize is that for twenty years, an unwinnable war without any success was being waged by the West in a country that had essentially no, uh, nothing to do with them. Had uh, Afghanistan did not, as a nation, attack. Uh, any Western country, did not attack NATO, did not attack the United States. They harbored Al-Qaeda, a terrorist group, in 2002, sure, Um, and that was the reason to go in in the first place. But for 20 years, the West kept on fighting an unwinnable war based on the idea that whatever happens, they should not let the Taliban or other non-Western forces, non-Western ideologies take over. And the result is that a whole generation in Afghanistan grew up suffering the civil war without any agency over their own destiny. The only agency they had was to align with the West, uh, become politicians talking the Western talk and now being punished for it because the inevitably the Taliban won and um, they're in charge again. So uh, this is an ex- excellent example of how you've got this clash between us looking at short-term problems, oh, the withdrawal, it was terrible, rather than the long-term problem of us believing that we had any business fighting a horrendous war in Afghanistan without actually noticing the consequences. And the reason for that is that we all grow up being indoctrinated to a certain extent um, about the West. I mean, you will have the same experience. But I, as a, as a child at, at, at school, when I was six, seven, we would talk about the glories of democracy. We would talk about the evils of authoritarianism, of dictatorships. We would have uh, mock elections. Um, and showing how important it is. I actually held a mock election uh, when I was seven or eight at school. I organized it myself because I was so proud to be part of the political process and that I lived in a country where I could vote for my government. Um, Now, don't get me wrong. I've got nothing against democracy. I'm very happy to live in a democratic country, but there is this continuous feed of indoctrination at a very basic level about... Some questions that should not be asked, um, such as, of course, democracy, capitalism, liberalism are good things, and starting from that, we have a duty towards the rest of the world to enlighten them. We we need to make the rest of the world see the light that we have been enjoying for so long.
0: And and so how do how does this attitude? Because this is again a very abs. I mean, not. Well, it's a somewhat abstract conversation because we're talking about such big things. But I'm always a big fan of anecdotes. As I mean, as an IR consultant, you talk to policymakers, you talk to leaders of countries. Um, do you do you have any personal anecdotes? I mean, without naming any, without naming and shaming, do you have anything personal where in a conversation it struck you that wow, this person genuinely believes that they are bringing glory to the world?
1: Well, yeah, this is this is a very common pattern. Um, look, uh, most of my work is not actually with the political leaders that you that you see in uh, the news, but but the people working for them, right? And and these people are just like us, are also part of of this bubble, are as from a very young age are being trained to think like that. And most of my initial work, typically, if someone says, um, for example, "Hey, bother, we need some help, we need some assistance on um, uh, expanding our uh, our interests in a specific country," and that happens quite a lot, or we want to uh, establish a new embassy there, or we want to invest in that country, what are the what are the issues that we have to take into account? Almost always, consistently, my first task. As a consultant, there is not to talk about the country they want to know about, but to talk about them and to talk to to sort of de bubble them, if that's a word within this podcast that we can use, um, to make them see that they do not represent automatically a force for good, right? And that is very much their inherent belief. They they they, they acknowledge that they can make mistakes, that they're imperfect, but they do believe somehow that they are a force for good in their relations with non-democratic, non-Western countries. And um, one, one very specific example where this happened, and where I actually had to spend an awful lot of time um, working with them, was on a, a, a group of European diplomats who were hell on uh, pushing for new elections in the Democratic Republic of Congo, which is a country that I've worked on in the past and I'm quite familiar with. And their whole um, question to me was, how can we um, properly establish these elections so that we can democratize Congo because it's a mess? This was about 15, 16 years ago. And the problem there is, of course, that from their mindset, the holding elections in the DRC is a step towards westernizing the DRC is a step towards making the DRC democratic and then when i started asking why do you want those elections i said well because obviously elections are necessary for democracy and then my question was why do you want democracy
0: i mean it worked in belgium right you have you have so many different groups who all somehow Live in a country.
1: Interesting that you mentioned Belgium in, con- in connection with Congo. By the way, there is some kind, of, <laughs> some kind of subconscious uh, relation for those who don't realize that uh, Congo was the personal fiefdom of the Belgian king for a long time. Um the, but but the, it's exactly that kind of thinking that they they couldn't wrap their head around the idea that maybe pushing for elections in the DRC is gonna have very serious negative consequences because what it does is it uh, makes explicit the already existing divisions that exist within that society at that time, that existed at that time in that society, and that before you have any type of elections, you have to know what you want to accomplish with those elections and um, what the negative outcomes of that are, right? But from their perspective, it was not in Frage to use a German uh, phrase, to it was, it was not an issue whether elections should be held. The only question is, how do we accomplish it? And so I actually spent, I would think, about two, three hours, and that's a long time in the consultancy world, talking to them about what is it actually that you want to accomplish with? What what makes you think that that these, these elections are a good thing? And that was just basically trying to burst their bubble and, and trying to have them look in the mirror and say, yeah, hang on, elections are not a end goal. It needs to work for something. It needs to achieve something. And having elections in themselves is not necessarily a good thing.
0: See, this reminds me... Um, I mean, b- basically my impression of the Western bubble as well, this reminds me of my last trip to, to Belgium, to Brussels, when I went to the... I think it was the Royal Palace, and they have some sort of a national museum in there. And they had a very just a very modern exhibition where they had digital books where you could basically turn the pages by swiping. And then um, you could go back in Belgium's history. And then I went to the chapter of the DRC, of the Democratic Republic of Congo, just because I was very interested to see how, bringing up another German term, how they dealt with their own past, with this Vergangenheitsbewältigung. And uh, the the chapter was very short. It was one page, uh, one paragraph saying that uh, Belgium and Congo had good relations on exporting natural resources from Congo to Belgium um, so I did what any good Westerner does I complained to the manager um, I talked to the curator I talked to the curator of the museum and uh, it, it was furious in him and asked him is this seriously every, everything you're going to mention about the Belgians the, well Belgian uh, Belgian history in Congo and um, yeah, there was just a a long conversation of really nothing, but but that was the first time when I realized, oh, um, this is not necessarily the whole story. and uh, if if we teach people in museums that, ah, yeah, no, we had good economic relations with Congo. And but we don't talk about the thirteen million people who died um, in 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 slavery, uh, then this this might give up a wrong a wrong image of the West. I think I think that. It's that's that's that's
1: exactly uh, that's exactly one of the things, right? So, most people nowadays, most sensible people, I would say almost every sensible person would understand that uh colonialism had a lot of negative bad aspects. But what is criticized is the 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 the, the horrors that were inflicted by European colonial nations. What is criticized is the Are The military operations, the demeaning racist uh, approach in many ways. So again, managerial things. What is not being criticized is the idea of the West uh, imposing their model on, on other nations. Or at least that's very infrequently criticized. The idea that there is something inherently wrong with saying... We've got a really good model that works for us, therefore, you should learn to use it as well. And this was one of the problems that led after decolonization um, to what is clearly neocolonialism, right? The idea of okay, now you are free, DRC, them, well, at the time Zaire, uh, now you're your independent country. Good luck with it, but do make sure that you follow our model because, yeah, we understand that it was bad that we controlled you, but we really still want to control you by having our model imposed on you. And if you don't follow our model, then there are going to be financial and geopolitical consequences, right? Um, That understanding that there is nothing in absolute terms inherently better about Western democracy compared to any other kind of governance form is an understanding that is completely lacking in our um, self-awareness. It's completely lacking in the way that we look at our own lives and we look at the lives of people outside of Western society.
0: And I think that's a very good, very good point to to end this introduction episode and just to give our listeners a bit of a bit of an outlook. So we aim to publish um, one episode every Wednesday at five in the morning. Uh, So you have something to listen to in the middle of the week on your way to anywhere, any commute, uh, maybe while doing the dishes or maybe by just sitting down and listening to us. Our first or second episode, if you count this one, will be on the war in Ukraine Um, and then further down the line, we will uh, discuss topics such as superpowers struggling for influence, diplomatic efforts around peace deals, consequences of the global economy or defense spending, but always from a Western perspective, trying to burst that Western bubble. if you have any questions or topics that you think we should discuss or any regards, feedback uh, you want to you have on this episode, then make sure to send us an email to jhasenstab at You can find the spelling of that in the post description below. And we will try to incorporate them in our following episodes. Uh, thank you very much for listening to us. Uh, make sure to join us again next week uh, when we attempt to burst the Western bubble.